Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A $2 billion airport improvement. First energy shenanigans and more discussion about the asphalt plan idea and opportunity corridor. It's Big Thought Thursday on This Week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm here with my colleagues, Laura Johnston, Layla Tassi, and Jane Cahoon. I'm Chris Quinn, and I'm hoping to make it through today because I want to talk about these topics. How are you all? Good. Good. Better, Better than, than you. Than you. <laughs> yeah, I hope you don't. We hope you this. make it this time. <laughs> All right, let's roll. Our lawyers all over Ohio finished with their belly laughs after hearing the gymnastic leaps of logic that First Energy is offering for why the $60 million it provided for a scandalous bribery scheme is really legal political donations. I can't even get these words out without laughing. Didn't the nonprofit that received the money already admit it was for bribes, not political speech? Jane Coon, this is a time where I wish I were a reporter and I could sit across the table from these lawyers and defy them to make this case without cracking a smile, because I don't think they can. <laughs> yeah, I guess we all needed a midweek chuckle, right, to get us through the rest of the week. But, you know, in all seriousness, until you get rid of dark money in campaigns, this this is the kind of argument you're, you're going to get. It's like legalized corruption. But however, as as you said, Chris, in this case, there's so much other evidence that the feds have that this money was used to bribe people to get Larry Householder in leadership, to get House Bill 6 passed and, and to keep it on the books. But anyway, the story you're talking about by John Coniglia uh, that elicited all these laughs was about First Energy filing hundreds of pages of court documents this week in an attempt to get a federal judge to throw out a civil lawsuit against it, alleging securities fraud, a, a suit that was brought by investors. The company lawyers say that the $60 million was legally channeled through a nonprofit, and, and they refer to the money as issue advocacy donations. Now, under federal law, companies can funnel unlimited amounts of money anonymously through these nonprofits, and it's perfectly legal. But in this case, First Energy and its affiliates, as we know, shipped this money to a nonprofit called Generation Now, which was like Larry Householder's bank account. And, and that nonprofit has admitted its guilt in this massive bribery scheme. Yeah. I mean, think about what they're saying there. They're saying, hey, the law lets us donate to these kind of nonprofits. Yes, it does. It, it absolutely does. It does not allow you to bribe. It does not allow you to fund criminal schemes. And for what's amazing, Jane, is they have been doing everything right to emerge from this. They got rid of all their bum leadership. Right. They've been negotiating with the feds to pay a big fine to get out of crimes. They've been talking to their shareholders and being honest. And then they turn around and do this. It's just well, laughable. You could ridiculous. argue that it's their lawyers doing their job to try to fend off this lawsuit and coming up with whatever legal arguments they can. But, you know, I mean, it really is funny. They, the, one of the things they said that, is that the contributions 
to generation now, they they don't establish a return promise from householder or anyone else as to any specific official act. And it said at most, the suit alleges that householder received contributions, but it's not bribery to support politicians who favor policies that align with one's interests. But, you know, I mean, that's just totally contrary to all this evidence that <laughs> because the, the nonprofit pleaded guilty the yeah. nonprofit said yes that right. money was for a bribery scheme How, you they can't do it i mean th- th- you say it might be a legal strategy they're going to get laughed out of court i bet the judge <laughs> when he rules on this is just going to body slam them this is a stupid strategy and it puts first energy back in the jackpot of public opinion ridicule yeah, right. and, we, and we like to lead that charge here so. <laughs> we they're also making a first amendment argument by the way that the first amendment protects the right to contribute anonymously to groups that speak or advocate on matters of public concern so i don't know how far they'll get with that one well we're big first amendment advocates because of who we are but if i use the first amendment to bribe public officials to do something not in the interest of of the people of Ohio, I wouldn't expect the First Amendment to protect me. I would expect to be in an orange jumpsuit the way these rest of these people soon will be. You got to think that the FBI investigators on this are looking at that thinking, what are they doing? And they're, def- <laughs> they're defying the FBI to release records of the communication that yeah. Chuck Jones had with these people to, to, because they're saying there was no tit for tat. There was no promise. I'll bet you anything that before this is over, we see the records of the communication. of. Well, the we should note for the record, as we always do, that no one for, from First Energy has been charged with a crime at this yet. point. Right. Yet. Anyway, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. Is reimagining the Cleveland airport, according to the plan offered Wednesday, worth $2 billion? And isn't there a good chance that airlines would abandon Cleveland rather than be on the hook to pay for this? Laura Johnston, let's let's start with the plan, but then I, there are just some hurdles to this that I don't understand why, why we're not talking about. It's all this pie in the sky stuff. So let's let's go first. What's the pie? In the, the pie sky? in the sky is this two billion dollar plan that is the result of a years long master plan process. It was unveiled yesterday. We're talking about five concourses instead of three, demolishing the old D concourse um, that. Uh, Continental had put up in the 90s, an expanded terminal, more parking, relocated customs, centralized security, I believe a new uh, rental car um, office and a new exit off of I-71. So obviously there's no guarantee for this, but when it would be done, the airport would be 71% brand new. The first phase itself is $780 million. The plan is not to begin that till at least 2026. They would renovate concourses A and C, replace concourse B, add this new five-gate concourse E, and expand and renovate the terminal. You know, I served in the dual role for three years as president and editor at our company, which put me involved with a bunch of committees that were trying to revitalize Cleveland. You know, I remember Cleveland Rising and all that stuff that was going on. And we, as an institution, kept pushing the idea that we need an airport. I know that I'm going to be in a minority of the people in this conversation that believe that airport is a pit, but but we were arguing that compared to other airports in the country, the design of the runways, what would happen if you just tore it down, built a palace there, got a regional controlling board with some kind of funding, a gas tax or something, so that it was cheap for airlines to fly in? Could it be a hub? And nobody was interested. 
I mean, I talked to one leader after another, and they all said, you know what? Nobody's complaining about the airport. They're complaining that you can't get flights direct to cities in America. Business travelers are losing entire days traveling around. All they wanted were the flights. They don't care about spending money on the airport. Well, we're not going to be a hub. We're not getting the business flights. So all that airport is now is a family travel airport. What, why would we spend $2 billion on it? It's going to raise the price of tickets for those families. And if I were Spirit Airlines, I'd be out of there. I'd be back in Akron and Right, because we've talked about this before, that the idea for this transformation is to make it friendlier for locals. They've realized that that is where the market is. They've increased their number of flights and passengers over the last couple of years um, to, to get a lot more people. But it's been all these budget airlines. It's been Southwest and Spirit and Frontier. And you're right. When I choose to go on an airplane... It's for a vacation, and all I care about is how cheap it is and how, how bad is the connection, right? And I don't care what the airport looks like. I'm not going there to get my nails done or, like, even get a meal. I just want to get on a flight easy. And I think Layla Atassi will probably agree with me here that it's – I don't think it's that bad. And I love that I don't have to, like, get on a shuttle to get to my plane. I can just, like, walk through the gate and be in there in five minutes. All right. You're walking a mile. Okay. But Layla, before you speak up, I just want to point out Ted Dieden believes there's nothing wrong with the airport. Go ahead, Layla. We have, <laughs> Ted and Layla find agreement. We have common ground. I All right. I don't have fancy tastes. Let me just start with that. But I don't think there's anything wrong with this airport. I don't understand who's asking for this. Is it travelers, airlines? I mean, who wants it to be nicer in that way? Was there some kind of focus group conducted where suddenly, you know, we just discovered that Cleveland is demanding this? Look, all, all people want is convenient parking, roads that are easy to navigate, decent restrooms, and a Cinnabon. That's <laughs> okay, all that people do about the station, which they have. So I am happy. <laughs> also, I, the, the 71 exit, I don't get either, because it's not hard to get to that airport. No, I mean, it's I've not. In and out of there it's a thousand easy. times. So you can get off at Snow the, the, or the next one. Here's, yeah. you know what, Robert Kennedy, the airport director, said, I laughed out loud when I, when he, I read that he said, I want people to know they're in Cleveland when they're in the airport. <laughs> well, then you better fill the concourse with potholes because that's how you're going to We have a Superman <laughs> statue. Is that not enough? Like, what else do you want? That, look, the other thing that I think is instructive here is that this, the, the Cleveland airport is owned by the city of Cleveland and run by the city of Cleveland. It's an enterprise fund, so it, it's paid for by the money it raises. No taxes can be used for it. But it's a regional asset that we all have a vested interest in. And this is another case where only Cleveland is having the say, that there is no public discussion. Layla said, where is the outcry? It doesn't matter because Cleveland alone is making the case, which gets back to the, the case we were making a couple of years ago. Shouldn't a regional authority run this thing so that there is universal approach to it instead of one city doing it, a city that has had some problems running big so projects in the past. Can we use this opportunity with the mayoral race to get some mayors to talk about it? I know Frank Jackson has always said, you never give up an asset. Well, can we make this part of the mayor's race and say, would you consider a regional authority? Well, and the scary thing is if they go down this road, we're going to lose airlines. And Laura, your price is going to go up because if the airlines stay and they're paying for a $2 billion expansion update, they're passing that cost on to you. They're not eating it, which makes it much cheaper for you to drive to Pittsburgh or Detroit or Columbus or Akron to get where you want yeah, to go. Yeah, maybe Akron and is I, like, yes, do this plan. We'll get our airlines back because they've been shrinking for years. 
Well, and there's, that's part of the talk in the regionalization is let's have a unified approach to air travel in Northeast Ohio that includes Akron and includes Richmond Heights and closes Burke Lake for an airport. One, can I add one more thing? <laughs> I flew into this Salt Lake in March and it was the airport there is absolutely brand new and it is really nice and it's gleaming and light filled and Chris, very shiny. But you know what? That is a destination for tourism. And I get why they're doing that because they want people to come and visit. But I don't, I just don't see people flying into Cleveland the same way. Yeah, people see, don't fly in just for the airport. That's the thing. You go, you fly into whatever airport you've got to go to. I mean, look at LaGuardia for That's heaven's true. sake. Right. But they, but they've just redone it. So it's, it's, well, it's almost done. Look, I, I've flown in and out of a lot of airports. Th- this one is far and away the, the most dingy. I mean, you fly into the Florida airports, they're all bright and sunny. You go into Europe, you go into Europe, you go into European airports, they're, they're pretty special. You, you look, you just look around at cities the same size. Have you been to the Detroit airport? It, it puts Mm -hmm. us to shame and that's why they're probably still a hub. But all that said, clearly there's no appetite for this except for Kennedy and the Jackson administration. And it's again, what are you yeah. thinking? Two you billion need to ask dollars. All those families going to Disney world. If they care what the airport looks like at 6am when they're getting their kids on that flight. Yeah, it's, 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 well, it doesn't ahead, deter like, someone from going to Disney world. That's what I mean. Like you go through it because you have, it's not, it's not so bad that it would turn anyone away from traveling through Cleveland. It, absolutely it's not. not. And they just updated it. So it is much nicer. Yeah, I mean, there there's has a, been there's a, a shake shack. See, and still a Cinnabon. (laughs) Okay. Here we go. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. With the deafening silence coming from Cleveland City Hall, can we, ourselves, come up with even a feeble justification for why Mayor Frank Jackson has put his stamp of approval on the idea of an asphalt plant on Opportunity Corridor? Layla Tassi, We've talked about this several times. This strikes us as one of the absolute worst ideas we've heard. It would trash the, the, the prospects for wealth along Opportunity Corridor. It's unfair to the residents that live over there. This was supposed to improve their lives. And yet the city stands behind it without ever coming out to explain why. So we've been having conversations here saying, well, can we come up with a reason? Can we? I don't know. You know, so Jackson has refused to talk to our reporters. He's refused to talk to the editorial board. Every time we've come to him seeking some insight into what he's thinking with this project that, like you said, is going to doom Opportunity Corridor for all time. So I don't know why he's doing this. Some might say that that from the outside looking in, it could appear that Jackson is doing a solid for his friends, Norm Edwards, who's the president and director of the Black Contractors Group, or also you know, Fred Perkins, the contractor, both of these guys are, are driving the project. But, you know, precedent tells us that's not really Jackson's nature to do something like that. It would be more likely that he would at this point be pushing for an asphalt plant just to spite all of us who are calling for reconsideration of that proposal because stubbornness is very much in Frank Jackson's nature. He doesn't like being told what to do. But so what are some other theories? Uh, you know, maybe maybe he's pushing for this use of the property because well, maybe he knows something we don't know. Maybe he knows that a section of the corridor isn't a viable location for, for other development. But but then when I thought about that later, I thought, you know, honestly, if there's something to know about that, I think our Steve Litt would know it. He is just well, way too plugged in. Except, then, well, remember ahead, though, when, when they did the police station, we had many questions about why you're putting a police station out there. It's supposed to be, you know, economic 
opportunities. And the answer was, look, this piece of land has no other real use because of the way it's shaped. And they weren't getting anybody out there that, that they, they had real, we talked to real estate people that came in and they said, look, we're having a hard time selling this. And we think by putting the police station out there, the safety factor will draw people in that you have to have somebody out there first. No one wants to be first. And I, what you and I were talking about the other day is maybe, you know, it's a year and a half after that conversation, maybe nobody wants to be second or third. And they're realizing this road's going to open up later this year or early next year and it's abandoned and there's not going to be anything on it. Maybe they're switching their strategy to heavy industrial because their original vision won't work. But then no, they but, should say that. No, but the thing is, you put you put an asphalt plant as your second, you will never have a third. So so the police station doesn't doom the project. The asphalt plant very well could. And so I, I f- find it hard to believe that they, that he, you know, that they're the city has conducted some kind of secret study where it knows for a fact that they are never going to get interest in that in that stretch of, of opportunity corridor. It but, wasn't a study as much as the real estate people that were representing it said they were having a hard time getting people interested that when they looked at places to go this was not a place they wanted to be because the future was unclear now if you put an asphalt plant the future is clear nothing will ever happen there we also speculated that you know you're right jackson doesn't do projects just to help out friends but if norm edwards came to him and said look i want to get this on the table and get a discussion i could see jackson saying look i'll put it on the table but i'm not i'm not going to fight for it but then they turned around and put out a statement doubling down, putting his full imprimatur on it, saying right. this is good. This meets the vision. So I, I'm mind boggled. But except- that, that theory is, is circulating out there that maybe he doesn't really support it, but perhaps he submitted it to kind of, you know, appease these loyalists. But he's fine with council killing it if that's what ends up happening. You know what he I doubled do- down. He's put out the statement saying this is this is right. Look, Jackson doesn't do that. Jackson, if he says I'm behind a project, if he told Norm Edwards I'm behind the project, he's in. He the, Jackson is not a guy that goes with political expedience. I just don't get it. I mean, we're I, I, we've talked and talked and talked about this. Usually by now he comes out and offers something, but he refuses to do that. Well, what I do know is that the legislation to first lease and then sell the property at issue here. Uh, to the construction school was introduced to council in April. But since then, since we've been hammering Jackson on this, this hasn't gone anywhere. It's not scheduled for any hearings before the end of the year. You know, the the Community Development Corporation has come out against uh, against this or against the secrecy. And there's a vibe among council members that this has kind of become radioactive since we've been questioning the wisdom of it all and its effect on future development. And and so since it's been introduced, it's been just mired in this law department review and, you know, as a source once told City Hall reporter Bob Higgs, if you want to get rid of something, send it to law. It'll disappear for at least six <laughs> well, weeks. Let me let me ask you this. I mean, it's it's an election year. So that's why council is afraid of the shadow. Anything that's radioactive, they run for the hills. But it's also an election year for the mayor. Kevin Kelly is one Kevin of those Kelly, running. Right. What's his position on this? Has he come out and put his neck on the line? Has he come out and said, this is a terrible idea for Cleveland? Has he come out and said, I fully support it and here's why? What he does Kevin he, Kelly want that, to do? I'm so glad you asked that question. Bob Higgs is working on a story where he's pressing counsel for their uh, for their their on the record comments about about the future of Opportunity Quarter as as it relates to this project. So look for that next week on Cleveland.com. But, but what's amazing is we've been talking about this for a couple of months. 
these guys want to be mayor and they don't want to speak up on this? I mean, come on. Is is that what we want in a mayor? Somebody that sits back and tests the wind for two months before they decide whether <laughs> to put their foot in the water? I mean, where's the spine? Where's the backbone to say, look, I'm for this. This is why. Or I'm against this. This is why. Instead of sitting in the background. It's been bizarre. It's one of those bizarre issues. Because when we look at it, this absolutely makes no sense. So, I know. I know. You know, council has two more meetings before summer break, and this is not going to be coming up before then. I think it ends up going the way of that proposal to name a portion of Euclid Avenue after Don King. <laughs> okay. All right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Will Ohio House Republicans ever expel Larry Householder, or does Speaker Bob Cup refuse to say why? Jane Cahoon, we've talked about this and talked about this. We did another story about it this week. You know, I just want to point out, when Bob Cup became House Speaker after Householder got defrocked, lots of people came out and said, oh, he's a good guy. He'll do a great job. He's a leader. And I'm throwing the flag because he's not. He's allowing Householder to remain in his body. That is the singular definition. That's his legacy. He let this guy stay in the body. Yeah, you know, I have to admit, (laughs) this story that we wrote really had no news on it. However, in it, but it was an important one to write because we have an obligation to keep the public informed about this, about what state lawmakers are doing, and in this case, not doing, as you said. So once again, we we asked Speaker Cup about this. Jeremy Pelzer asked him during his little gaggle uh, yesterday whether and when lawmakers intend to expel Householder, who, as we know, was a, a ejected from his speaker's chair last year, but still holds his legislative seat because it was too late for any viable candidate to mount a re-election challenge to him after he got indicted on this federal racketeering charge. But Cup's repeated what I would call robotic response was, I have nothing further to report. He he did, however, say that members of his Republican caucus talk frequently about this, but he wouldn't divulge what the substance of those conversations uh, or, or was or what the consensus is on this. And and uh, and then I think after Jeremy asked, I think another reporter asked him, like, you know, do you see any issue with Householder continuing to draw this legislative salary of more than $60,000 a year? And he replied, as you know, my position is Larry Householder should resign. And then, you know, his flack ended the media call short, shortly after that. So, you know, I mean, well, okay, but but what's false about that? His position is yeah. that householders should not be in the body. He's the guy that can get him out. Exactly. That, I think somebody needs to remind him that Larry Householder is not resigning, has no intention of resigning, and if they want him out, they need to do it. So this is Bob Cup's legacy. I mean, and it's really pathetic that we have Larry Householder continuing to be in this what's supposed to be this august body and he refuses to talk about it what's amazing though it feels like we're the only ones that ask this question shouldn't every state house reporter <laughs> be asking him every day you know we should be running numbers I, how many days you get, just get tired of getting the same response over and over again but, but um this, this you know i guess what that's the point of jeremy's story that's what the tone made right. it so great exactly Exactly. Um, Apparently what's going on behind the scenes is that there's a small but influential kind of subgroup of Republican lawmakers 
can you say Bill Seitz, Chris, um, that, who are holding up this expulsion? What a shock. Bill Seitz, the first energy apologist, the guy who tried to save House Bill 6, is now supporting keeping Yeah, I mean, I think older. he's, you know, it's not so secret. I mean, he said on the House floor he didn't think there was corruption involved in, in passing the bill. So you kind of know where he stands. Right, even though people have pleaded guilty to corruption, yeah, yeah. mind-boggling the twisted logic. He probably doesn't believe January 6th happened either. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. If Amtrak follows through on train service between Cleveland and Cincinnati, will the five-and-a-half-hour travel time discourage people from riding? Laura Johnston, I, I didn't realize it was going to be five-and-a-half hours till uh, the story published. And I thought, you know, train travel's nice because you can sit and do stuff. It's not white knuckle driving like you're in your car. But but if I have to pay a lot of money for that and it takes the same amount of time to get there, I'm not sure I would. No, I, I agree with you that the five and a half hour time wasn't horrible, especially when you consider that, well, they, they think they're going to get it down to four hours and 55 minutes. And if you ever drive through the middle of 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 uh, Columbus and Cincinnati when there are other cars there. I mean, there seems to be always construction and it always takes me longer than I want it to. So, and you know, if you were on a train, you could be doing, doing uh, your work or whatever, reading a novel. So it's a 250 mile route. It could start in a couple years. We still have no idea what it will cost for passengers or what it will take to get it done. But the, they talked about it in a round table with some mayors uh, this week. Susan Glazer, our travel reporter, listened in on it. And Frank Jackson is wholly supporting it. Nan Whaley. There would likely be three round trips a day. And um, the, they're really hopeful that this could happen. Yeah, I guess I guess we're going to ask our audience, what's the price mm-hmm. point? I mean, I would do it in a minute for 100 bucks. You know, I might do it for 200 bucks. Would I do it for three, 350? No. It's just... You start to look at it because if I fly to, to Cincinnati, it, I, if there's a flight out of Burke, it's quick. But here it's still the same amount of time. I, uh, I It'll be interesting to see whether whether it can be sustained. Yeah, Amtrak is estimating as many as 500,000 ra- ra- Sorry, riders would ride the route annually. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of people, but they're saying that has an economic impact of $130 million. But yes, we have not seen ticket prices yet. Well, but that if they have that estimate, that means they have ticket prices. We should bust. Can I can I jump in here? Jane Cahoon. I just want to say that I'm glad that this story pointed out that John Kasich as governor (laughs) sent back four hundred million dollars to the feds. We we wouldn't be talking about this now. This would already probably exist by now. The issue then was they were like, This is not high speed train travel. We don't want slow speed train travel, right? So let's not do any train travel. So let's not do anything, right? Let's And actually this morning, um, one of our editors, Rich Exner, sent an email. He said he remembers that the price being tossed around at that point, which at this, I mean, we're, that's almost a decade ago, right? It was twenty five fifty round trip, something like that. So for twenty five no, bucks, I would ride a train to I, Cincinnati. I would for do it in sure. A it's amazing Can- that how how much dimmer John Kasich's legacy gets with every passing month. <laughs> Get on the bus, Chris. I wonder if they have any first class seats for him to oh. plunk down. <laughs> oh. This is wait. This is Layla Tazi. I want to ask: Why does it take so long to get to Cincinnati on a train? I mean, 
There's no lights. There's no. You're going straight down there. I, I could you, crawl you to Cincinnati faster. <laughs> you stop multiple times, though, including oh. at Hopkins International oh, Airport. All right. dollars. Given that my only purpose for taking this train would be to have a day trip with my kids, there is zero chance I'm going to be on a train with them for five and a half hours. <laughs> I vote no. <laughs> okay. Well, it's also going to stop in Crestline, okay. which is a town I had not heard of until I read this story. So. Okay, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. Is Ohio's $5 million Vaximillion lottery a good use of state money, and how does the cost compare to caring for a COVID patient? Like Latassi, we set out to see if this would be cost-effective, how many people you might need to get vaccinated to make the $5 million worth it, you know, taking apart from the whole marketing campaign. So what did we find? I thought this was a really fascinating way to look at the Vaximillion. Julie Washington reported that the $5 million that will eventually be paid out to winners is equal to the cost of treating about 40 severe COVID cases. So if this incentive to get vaccinated helps us avoid at least that many serious infections, it will be worth it. She used data from a national independent nonprofit that works to increase transparency for healthcare costs to determine that the average hospital bill can be close to $250,000 for the most severe cases of COVID, and that includes the use of a ventilator and intensive care. The standard hospitalization for COVID costs about $41,000. So viewed through that lens, Vaximillion is a shift in resources from treatment to prevention. And it appears to be working. Laura Hancock reported yesterday that 113,000 people received their first doses between Thursday and Tuesday. And that's double the number that received first doses the week before. Uh, DeWine is hoping the lottery will boost vaccination by 8% among Ohioans who are vaccine hesitant. I mean, my hunch is that, you know, we're seeing we're seeing people who are who are, aren't necessarily vaccine hesitant choosing to get the shot now, but rather people who were planning on getting it and were just dragging their feet. A chance to win a million dollars is great incentive to do the right thing if you planned on doing it anyway. Right. So, <laughs> um, yeah. but but yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's uh, I thought this was a great, great way to to look at the numbers and to to show that that, you know, the five million might be might be a good investment in this way. Yeah, I think this is going to go down as one of Mike DeWine's brilliant ideas. It, it's working. It's not really that expensive, comparatively speaking. And when you look at it through the prism we did, it makes a lot of sense. And, mm -hmm. you know, let's face it, the more people get vaccinated, the less suffering there is. So we'll have to see. And, and I are all four of us now in? Layla, have you read? I'm in. Yet? I'm in. Okay. <laughs> Me too. All right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Well, I knew we weren't going to get to the end of all our questions today. Good conversation. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Jane. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. <laughs>